Thank you for taking the time to listen to the Well Church Satterton's podcast. We pray that you enjoy this message and that it creates a well of hope in your life today. Thank you so much for going there in worship. I just was really feeling like the Lord wants to expand each of our individual vision for what He can do through our life in whatever life stage you're at. It's not over. You didn't miss it. He wants to do it. So we want to invite Him to show us how to partner with Him. Thanks for coming out on the holiday weekend. I hope you enjoy your holiday. So again, just reiterating, the Lord wants new vision for you. The world around us is saying that there's so many things that can stop what God wants to do, whether it's the economy, whether it's situations, whether it's whatever it is, and God's saying that. He can move anyway in spite of all that. So guys, we're doing Daniel in September. It is September now. We are reading the book of Daniel together separately. It's a self-paced study. Read as much or as little as you want uh, each day. It is only 12 chapters. That's 12 chapters. If you have more than 12 chapters, we would love to gift you a new Bible. And I can talk about why that is in a little bit. Um, And what I want you to notice as you read, the reason we're looking at this right now, we'll also talk about this in a bit, is Daniel served three ungodly kings as a captive, but he still managed to live a life set apart for God and impact the culture around him for the kingdom of God. Don't miss pre-service prayer. Pre-service prayer has been awesome. Uh, We start praying around 9.30 is what we shoot for. We end at about 9.50. If you're here and you want to pray with us, if you want to come early to pray, that would be awesome. If you need prayer today, if you want prayer for anything, there will be someone in the prayer room after the service to pray with you. All right, something I'm really excited about. Two weeks ago, if you missed this, we talked about this in depth, and you might want to go back and look at the podcast, listen to the podcast. So you can find the podcast. If you can't find it, I'll help you find it. We talked about what we're going to do later this month as a corporate fast. Just one day, September 19th to 20th, we're going to fast uh, together separately, and then we're going to come together on the 20th, have worship, pray, and break fast together. And what I shared uh, last week, and I'll share it again, you guys are all familiar with the story in the Bible where Jesus and a few of the disciples are up on the mountain, and when they come down, there's a father with a little boy, and that little boy needs to be set free. And the disciples that were there cannot do it. And Jesus acts really annoyed with everybody. You guys have read this. And we get caught up on the fact that Jesus is annoyed. And he makes this comment that says, this kind only comes out by prayer and fasting. And he says that, and people are like, well, is it the unbelief? Do I really have to fast? And nobody says, oh my goodness, if I run into a little kid that needs set free, I want to be able to do that. So I think I'm going to fast occasionally. Nobody says that. Nobody says, I want to be able to set a little kid free, so I'll skip a few meals. So again, uh, fasting is all different forms. We'll talk about that a little bit today. If you want to hear the bulk of the fasting teachings that we, that we did, you'll have to go back in the podcast. So if you brought something to give, hold it in your hand. You guys all know we don't pass the plate. The offering basket's in the back. Put it in at your leisure. So Lord, we just pray that you would bless the offering here that you would bless the giver, that you would bring about the desires of their heart. Lord, we pray for a multiplication of what comes in and the wisdom to know how to partner with you with it. And Lord, we pray that as we dive into Daniel right now, 
that you would show us the things that you want us to see and that we would not quickly forget the word that was in Jesus' name. Amen. So please open your Bibles or navigate your phones over to Daniel chapter 6. This month we are individually reading Daniel together. Um, There's some things Daniel practiced that are key for Christians in the times that we live in. Daniel lived as a captive in a culture that was not godly. He served three separate kings from three separate nations, each of which worshipped different false gods, but he was able to live a life that honored God and put God's power on display. At the end of this message, I'm going to give you some keys from how Daniel lived that are key for us in the times that we live. But let's start with an overview of the book, since we're all reading it this month, right? All. All right, overview of Daniel. Daniel is such an interesting book because we do not know who wrote it. We think part of it was written by Daniel. The audience of the book is universal. The book of Daniel speaks to those who are conflicting, who face conflicting and complex moral decisions. It was written while Israel was in exile 605 years before Jesus. The type of literature it's considered is heroic literature. There's a hero that does things. And then also, it's apocalyptic literature. Now, I know that sets off all these alarms because we've seen a lot of movies about the apocalypse. But the Greek word actually just means unhidden or revealed. It's not a scary thing, especially if you're playing for the right team. You all know we win in the end. These are the things that are going to happen in the future. And any apocalyptic literature is just unhiding or revealing it to us. It's the same kind of concept when we talked about Revelation. We said Revelation is not the revelation of the Antichrist. It's not the revelation of the beast. It's not the, the revelation of those things. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ. The major themes of the book of Daniel, faithfulness in a hostile culture, God's sovereignty over all kings and empires, God's preservation of his people, and an apocalyptic key to current and future global events. The book of Daniel can be divided in several ways. Here's where it really gets interesting. The easy way, the heroic stories, chapters 1 through 6, and the apocalyptic visions, chapters 7 through 12. But the other way it can be divided, and this is what I think is interesting, is the linguistic divisions. Chapter 1 to chapter 2, verse 4, are written in Hebrew. Right in the middle of verse 4, you can look this up on your own, it says, the wise men answered him in Aramaic. And then it shifts to Aramaic all the way till the end of chapter 7. So in the middle of verse 2, it it makes sense how it happened. The person writing it was like, they answered him in Aramaic, and they just got stuck in Aramaic. The thing you need to know is Hebrew was the language of the captives. Aramaic was the language of the captors. And then it jumps back to Hebrew, chapter 8. To chapter 12. Now, anything past chapter 12, they only have Greek copies of. Greek, these things were translated into Greek later. So, when they went to form our canon of Scripture, they said, We don't have any early copies of chapters 13 and 14. 
So we are not going to include them in the canon of Scripture. I'm going to tell you what you're missing real quick. You can read it on your own. I found chapter 13 make, made me feel a little icky. Chapter 13, a woman is falsely accused, and Daniel comes to her rescue. Chapter 14 is called Daniel and the Dragon. It's a really great story. They were worshiping this thing, and Daniel said, that's not a god, watch this, and he poisoned it. So that's what you miss, not having it in your Bible. Our uh, Orthodox and Catholic brethren accepted them and put them in their Bible, and we said, there's not enough evidence that these are original texts, so we're just going to leave them out just to be safe. So a couple of weeks ago, I started to talk to you about civil disobedience. That's when the government makes laws or tries to assert that Christians have to do certain things that go against what the Bible says, and so Christians will disobey those laws. We talked about bad examples of civil disobedience. I use the examples that I love, beach tags. Don't be that Christian that argues with the 13-year-old girl about the constitutionality of beach tags. Fishing licenses. I agree, the fish are there. We should be able to catch them. It should be our right as a, a, a taxpayer, but you have to pay an additional tax. And there's this new thing. If you haven't got your car registration, you will. There's a new fee for local use of your car, like you weren't using it locally before. And it doesn't really say what it's for. It's just a fee for driving locally. If you guys don't have that, let me know. I'm going to move to your town. But somehow my town had that applied. And so these are bad examples of where you would do civil disobedience. I'm not going to go to jail over the $5 or the, what is it, $32 for the fishing license. But right now in our nation, I need to point out this, that Christians have more religious freedom than they have had in their entire lifetime as a result of the recent Supreme Court decisions. But the culture around us makes it feel like we don't. So no matter what age you are, if you're on the older, the bolder age group, the wiser age group, or the younger age group, There's been laws that have been changed because of recent Supreme Court decisions, and you now have more religious freedom than you've ever had in the United States. Can you put that picture up? I'm going to talk about that in a second. Let that sink in. You right now have more religious freedom than you've ever had here in America because of one man's act of civil disobedience eight years ago. One man refused just to move on after he was denied the right to pray silently in public in his place of appointment. You might be familiar with the recent Supreme Court case, Kennedy versus Bremerton. You might be familiar with the media's version of that story, that the coach used playing time and roster spots to force students to pray with him at football games. And that actually would have been wrong, Fortunately, what was actually happening was after each game, Joe Kennedy would shake the hands of the other team's coaches, walk to the center of the field, take a knee and bow his head for 15 to 30 seconds, and silently pray and thank God for his job and for the game, regardless of how the game went. He did this whether they won or they lost. And since he did this at every game, other Christians started to join him. Christian players from his team, coaches and players from other teams, just silently pausing for a few seconds on the field after the game to thank God. And one day, so he did this for eight years. 
One day, after observing this, a member of another school's administrative faculty thought this was the most amazing thing he'd ever seen. He loved it. And when he bumped into the Bremerton High School principal, he mentioned it, how great it was. The Bremerton High School principal freaked out. He yelled, separation of church and state, you can't do this on state property. So they pull the coach in and they say, hey, you got to stop doing this. You're not allowed to do it. It's not, not right. We're going to fire you if you do it. So Coach Kennedy complied for one week. On his way home, he felt terrible. He just was so upset. So he called a, a, a lawyer and he said, what, what should I do with this situation? And then the lawyer said, you're well within your rights to stop and silently pray at your workspace, even if other people see you do that. So he went back the following Friday, and he stopped. They had the football game. He did his normal thing, went out, took a knee, 15 to 30 seconds, silently prayed in his head, and uh, he was fired for what he did silently in his head. And I want you to think about that. This isn't freedom of speech. This is freedom of thought. So six years later, in January of 2022, last year, the justices of the Supreme Court announced that they would hear this case. Kennedy versus Bremington. Kelly Shackelford, the president and CEO of First Liberty, they are a law firm that represents people in civil liberty lawsuits, said no teacher or coach should lose their job for simply expressing their faith while in public. By taking on this important case, the Supreme Court can protect the right of every American to engage in private religious expression, including praying in public, without fear of punishment. So Coach Kennedy said before his case that six years away from the football field has been far too long. He's extremely grateful the Supreme Court is going to hear the case, and he'll soon be able to go back to coaching. So in November of 2022, the federal judge issued an order that Coach Kennedy's case, assuring that he could return to the field. So that picture up there is this past Friday. The first time he was able to pray in six years. So there's even better news than that. The Supreme Court, while making this decision, overturned what is known as the Lemon Law. The Lemon Law was given to us by the same Supreme Court that gave us Roe versus Wade. And what the Lemon Law states is that you can't have anything religious on anything owned by a government, whether it's a township, a school, uh, a state, or a federal government. And so this is the same law that caused the Ten Commandments to come down. This is the same law that stopped major scenes at City Hall. This is the same law that changed the way we were allowed to religiously express ourselves on government property. It's called the Lemon Law. And that law had been cited in 1,800 or so religious freedom cases. And they were ruled not in favor of the person that was trying to do the religious liberty thing, but the, per- the other people. So 1,800 times the Lemon Law said, you have to take that sign down. You can't display that. You can't say that. You can't do that because you can't have religious things on government property. So in this case, they overturned the Lemon Law. The same law that said you can't put the Ten Commandments up in schools. So now we, they have to go back and one by one go through those cases and get them overturned. But right now, because of that, you have more 
religious freedom than you've ever had because the aptly named Lemon Law has been overturned. So one of the reasons we're focusing on Daniel is we see civil disobedience several times. For Daniel, it was never choose God over the enemy or collaborate with the enemy and forget God. Rather, it was all about finding clever and creative ways led by God's direct guidance, backing up Daniel's positive and unshakable faith to honor the complex and seemingly contradictory demands of his position without bowing to the culture's moral pressures. We all face such pressures as adults. The morals that we were taught in church, the values of much of our society, and the pressures of government and media, and our own inner compass often conflict. So can we bend the rules, or will God provide a way out of the jam? Can we stay loyal to a boss, to a company and its goals, while maintaining spirit-led integrity as believers? Heroically, Daniel always found a way without compromising to balance competing value systems and even worldviews, languages, and cultures. Daniel was always a both-and thinker in a world of either-or choices. And he did it without even, ever being unfaithful to God. So I want to start thinking that way. We want to start thinking like both and. I can serve in this position and I can bring the glory of God. It's not an either or. Today we're going to look at one of the most well-known stories in Daniel. Many of us have been hearing this story since we were in Sunday school. And I think because we're so familiar with it, as adults we don't study it. And we don't learn the details. Because in Sunday school they leave some out. So you're already in Daniel chapter 6. Most of you are familiar with the story. It says Daniel in the den of lions. Daniel chapter 6. It pleased Darius to appoint 120 satraps to rule throughout the kingdom, with three administrators over them, one of whom was Daniel. The satraps were made accountable to them so the king would not suffer loss or the king's interests might not suffer. So the king puts 120 guys in front of the kingdom, and they report to three guys, and Daniel is one of those three guys. See what I mean about missing details in Sunday school. Verse 3, Now Daniel distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king had planned to set him over the whole kingdom. So Daniel outdid the rest of the leaders. He stood out. He shined. And there's a leadership lesson here. Are you like Daniel when you work, or are you like the others? Does your work stand out, or do you conspire to attack people whose work stands out? We see this happen a lot today. People mostly on the internet attack what they perceive is standing out. There are a lot of Christians that deep down feel that if a person, a church, or a ministry stands out, there's something wrong with that. And often, from behind the safety of their computer screen, attack the one whose work stands out. We've seen a little bit of this. If you look at our social media, the person who does our graphics does a really good job. And every once in a while, somebody thinks we're one of those big, successful churches who just want your money. And they want to tell everybody else about how we're, those big, we're big and successful and just want their money. And I'm like, you should come by. I think you'd be surprised. <laughs> I mean, we like our bills paid. That's great. 
But I, I don't think, you know, that's our motivation. And I, I, I don't, now I'm getting way off topic. I feel we're successful for the season that the Lord has us in. And if we stay in that season for a long time, I'm happy. You guys are mostly easy. We don't want to be those people that say, oh, it's big and successful. It must not be God. Do you, do you hear how backwards that sounds? Especially when we look at a big and successful church. I, I'm constantly amazed when I run into people and, and we see a, a large ministry that seems successful or maybe they're on TV. But if you hear somebody preaching and they have a big platform, it's possible God gave them that platform. And it's possibly they're saying something worth listening to. All right, so verse 4. At this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt or negligent. So I, I just want to throw that out here. We're not in the keys yet, but wouldn't you like it if people said that about you? It's not really a hard thing. There's no corruption in him. He's not going to do anything wrong because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt or negligent. He's not going to let little things go either. He's going to take care of everything he's supposed to take care of. I try to build this reputation at my workplace, and it's funny because when something comes up and I tell them the truth, they're always surprised I tell them the truth. But they, can, they can't say that they've ever heard me lie. And that's the funny thing that comes up, because it's like, well, you know, if I say this, it's going to be true. Do you want me to say it, or do you want to ask somebody else? And I've had that conversation with them many times. They had to have somebody talk to OSHA, and I had to say, well, whatever he asked me, I'm going to tell him the truth. And they're like, that's why we asked you. I'm like, great, more power to it, let's go. So this is the reputation you want to have. This is the way you want to conduct yourself, even here, even in your family. Be trustworthy, neither corrupt nor negligent. So verse 5, finally these men said, we will never find any basis for charges against the man Daniel unless it has something to do with the law of his God. So work in such a way that you can't be accused of anything, not even neglecting part of your job. Verse 6, so the administrators and the satraps went as a group to the king and said, make King Darius live forever. Verse 7, the royal satraps, administrators, prefects, Satraps, advisors, governors have all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or human, except to you, your majesty, shall be thrown in the lion's den. Now your majesty issued the decree, put it in writing so that it cannot be altered in accordance with the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be repealed. Verse 9 So King Darius put the decree in writing. It is a law now. Verse 10, when Daniel learned about the decree, learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened towards Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before. So there's some interesting things to point out here. First of all, this is civil disobedience. There is a law, and Daniel is disobeying it. He isn't hiding. He's not changing anything. You made a law against what God said. I'm just going to keep doing what God said. So three times a day, he does this, and he plans to continue doing it no matter what law is passed. And I think there's something we can learn here 
about having a routine or even a regimented time that we shut out distractions and focus on God. Three times a day, Daniel does this. He's not being religious. He just has a habit. So what is Daniel actually doing the three times a day? The Bible says, we just read it, three times a day he got down on his knees and he prayed, giving thanks to God. And there's something here. Daniel gets down on his knees and he prays. What does he pray? We don't know. The Bible omitted that. But what the Bible makes clear is that he gives thanks to God. A law is passed, was just passed, making what he is doing illegal, but he still gives thanks to God. Weirdly, the word pray in Daniel 6 is a Hebrew word. The word translated pray is a Hebrew word that only appears in the Bible one other time. So it appears in Daniel 6.10, which we just read, and weirdly, it appears in Ezra 6.10. Only twice in the entire Bible. And the word in both times is translated prayer. However, it is specifically the act of humbly bowing to pray. It sounds like the Hebrew word to curve. Bob will write this on the chalkboard another week. It sounds like the Hebrew word to curve, meaning to bow, to go low, to humble yourself before God. So three times a day, Daniel bowed, humbled himself, It's translated prayer, but it's bowing and approaching God, not with his list of needs, not with his list of complaints. Remember, he was a captive, basically living as a slave at the whims of these kings who kept issuing decrees to kill all the people that were wise, which is really great if you want to have a good kingdom, kill all the wise men. Anyway, so three times a day, he bowed and thanked God. And this could be a a key to why many Christians struggle to establish routine prayer today. It starts by simply being humble, bowing low, and thanking God. Being humble and grateful. Verse 11. Then these men went as a group, and they found Daniel praying and asking God for help. Verse 12. So they spoke to the king about his royal decree. Did you not publish a decree? That during the next 30 days, anyone who prays to any god or human except to you, your majesty would be thrown into the lion's den? And the king answered, The decree stands in accordance with the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be repealed. So, yup, it's a law, and Daniel is not obeying it. Then they said to the king, Daniel, one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, your majesty. Or to your decrees that you put in writing. He still prays three times a day. Don't read ahead. How many of you think the king is going to be mad? Okay, watch this. When the king heard this, he was greatly distressed. He was determined to rescue Daniel. And made every effort until sundown to save him. He wasn't mad that the law was disobeyed. He saw value in what Daniel did in his kingdom. 
So the king isn't angry with Daniel. He isn't upset that Daniel is in trouble. He wants to rescue Daniel. But here comes the left in the mainstream media. Oh, sorry. Verse 15. The men went as a group to the king Darius and said to him, Remember, your majesty, that according to the law of the Medes and Persians, no decree or edict that the king issues can be changed. So what they're saying is Daniel must be punished. And you see this. It's not just that you're not allowed to do something. It's not just that they say you can't pray silently on the football field. They have to put a punishment. There's almost like a spiritual thing that when Christians rise up in civil disobedience, there's a punishment. Uh, And if you look at even modern court, court cases, it's not just trying to stop the activity. It's trying to push back and punish. So Daniel must be punished. Verse 16, So the king gave the order and brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. And the king said to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, rescue you. Did the king just break his own law? Is that a prayer? Is a declaration a prayer? Did he just pray to God? That's close. I would say if that was me, I'd be going in the lion's den for praying to someone other than the king. May your God, who you serve, continually rescue you. It's a statement. It's a declaration. I don't know. We can argue about that another time. So a stone was placed over the mouth of the den. The king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the rings of the nobles so that Daniel's situation might not be changed. Interesting. This is really interesting. It does kind of remind me of another story with a stone that was guarded so the situation couldn't be changed. But the other interesting thing is They sealed it with the rings of the nobles. There's other people that they think might come to rescue Daniel. This is the reputation of this man who lives as a slave in a kingdom. So, verse 18, Then the king returned to his palace and spent the night without eating and without any entertainment being brought to him, and he could not sleep. So we were talking about fasting. And we'll be talking about fasting again. And I want to point out that he fasted. He didn't eat. We talked about how you can fast entertainment. People fast social media. People fast TV. That's another form of fasting. So he's fasting again. I don't know if we mentioned it or not, but there is a thing called watching where you can fast sleep. Where you stay up to be with the Lord. So here we have a guy made a law. You can't pray to any other God. It doesn't say he's praying, but he's fasting, and he's not sleeping. Anyway. Verse 19. At the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. And when he came near to the den, he called Daniel in an anguished voice. Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve, continually been able to rescue you from the lion's den? Verse 21. Daniel answered, May the king live forever. My God sent his angel and he shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight, nor have I ever done anything wrong before your majesty. Quick side note, that word angel there is singular. 
And that word lion is plural. One angel, lots of lions shut their mouths. I think it's pretty cool. Anyway, when I was in Sunday school, I thought there was an angel for every lion. Anyway, verse 23. The king was overjoyed and gave uh, orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was found on him because he had trusted God. Verse 24. At the king's command, the men who had falsely accused Daniel. Did they falsely accuse Daniel? No, he broke the law. But the men that falsely accused Daniel were brought in and thrown into the lion's den, along with their wives and children. And before they reached the floor of the den, they didn't tell you that in Sunday school either, did they? And before they reached the floor of the den, the lions overpowered and crushed them. So we're New Covenant Christians. We don't want our enemies devoured by lions. We want them to come to know Jesus. But look at how God turned the plans of the enemies to work out for his people. And he turned the plans of the enemy on the people that planned it. And we see tons of examples of that in the Bible. So verse 25, we don't know the timeline of this, but the decree was issued that no one could pray to anyone but Darius for 30 days. We're making an assumption that this is like day one, day two. Daniel's going to pray. They bring the accusation against Daniel. Day two, Daniel's in the lion's den. Day two comes. So this is day two. Nobody can pray to any god. But then Darius wrote to all the nations. I'm reading verse 25. Then King Darius wrote to all the nations and peoples of every language, every language in all the earth. May you prosper greatly. Verse 26. I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel. Now be encouraged by what Darius says here. In the face of another hostile, in the face of another kingdom that we live in that is hostile towards God. Be encouraged by this. For he is the living God and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. Verse 27. He rescues and saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. And verse 28. So, Darius pro- uh, so Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. So keys from Daniel. Key number one for us today, faithfulness in a hostile culture. Key one is faithfulness in a hostile culture. Daniel himself is an outstanding role model for us as we try to find a creative path between the ditches of disengaging from society altogether and trying to blend in with the world. There's something in the middle of those two ditches that the Lord wants to use to bring His kingdom in the midst of all this. Jesus calls us to be salt and light for a world lacking both. There are seasons in history like ours and Daniel's when this can be very challenging. The book of Daniel doesn't give us simple answers for these dilemmas but rather shows us that with God's help and guidance, we can take part in society and remain faithful to the Lord. So key one was faithfulness in a hostile culture. Key two, God is sovereign over all kings and empires. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago, but the book of Daniel asserts this, asserts this during a time when it was anything but obvious. No one would have thought that the people of God would prevail over the Babylonians and Persians, but they did. 
Though with churches closing all over North America and Europe, it might appear that we're headed for retreat or eventual failure, the truth is that empires and ideologies come and go. God and his kingdom are eternal. So key one, faithfulness in a hostile culture. Key two, God is sovereign over all kings and empires. Key three, God preserves his people. In the book of Daniel, Jerusalem had been completely destroyed by the Babylonians. Solomon's temple was leveled into a rubble heap. In captivity, Israel's children were starting to prefer Aramaic, the language of the conquerors, over Hebrew, the language of the Torah, and the great story of God's mighty act. In fact, we saw the linguistic shift in the middle of the book of Daniel. The people of Israel were forced to ask themselves, who were we without a temple or a language? They had to dig deeper to find a path to God that did not depend on either one. If the external supports of our faith, Christian literature, churches, YouTube worship videos were stripped away, how would we maintain our faith? How would we teach our children to have faith if they would rather not speak English? God has a dynamic plan of salvation for the whole faithful remnant, even if all seems lost. All right, so keys from Daniel again. Number one, faithfulness in a hostile culture. Number two, God is sovereign over kings and empires. Number three, God preserves his people. Key four, there's an apocalyptic key to current and future geopolitical events. The original readers in the book were living in tumultuous times. Mighty empires were battling for supremacy in the ancient Near East. Tiny Israel was just trying to survive. They needed assurance that their God was still on the throne amid all this chaos and that he would make everything right in the end. The purpose of apocalyptic literature, like the second half of Daniel, is to address these kinds of issues. There are timeless truths in these chapters about God's sovereignty and rule that are just as helpful to us as they were the original reader. The book of Daniel asserts more clearly than any other Old Testament book that there is an afterlife and a final judgment. The second half of the book illustrates sorting out the values of our faith in God and our ultimate hope. We begin to see the highest of these values are perfectly manifested in a coming Messiah, a tangible person, who will live among us and make everything right. The God that led Daniel to great wisdom in navigating these dangerous waters of a pagan world would in good time find embodiment in Christ and still live among us to this day. We have God living in us. Let's trust that he will guide us like Daniel through anything earthly rulers would try to do to us. Lots of Christians carry trepidation for the future. There is much to worry about, economy, elections, wars and rumors of wars, viruses and vaccines. Our hope is not in in the government to do right things. We pray for them and for them to do right things. But our future is bright because our hope rests in God who is able to do amazing things in and through us in any season, no matter what's happening on the earth. We're going to pray, and as we do, I want you guys to take a moment to lay down the fear of the future 
and move your hope into the correct place. It's not in men. It's not in the government. It's in God. So we trust in God to sustain and prosper us no matter what happens in the world around us. We live by a different set of laws. So let's pray. So Father, we thank you that you've called us to rise up and to rise above and to thrive in every circumstance. Lord, we pray for godly rulers in our nation that those that serve in government would come to know you in a real way. That they would acknowledge you as God. And Lord, we pray that if that's not going to happen, that you would remove them from their permission and give us godly rulers. But Lord, we also thank you that you purpose us to thrive in every circumstance. So right now, we exchange any fear we have of what man can do to us for the hope of what you can do through us. Here we are. Send us out, Lord. We thank you for everything you're doing. We purpose to go low and acknowledge you as God. And we thank you in every circumstance we find ourselves. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, guys, have a good holiday. Thanks for taking the time to listen. We're glad that what the Lord is doing among us encourages you. For more info about the church, follow us on Facebook or connect with us on Instagram. Visit dwellatthewell.com or come out and see us on a Sunday morning. 228 Ridge Avenue, Souderton, Pennsylvania. I'm taking a well, I'm taking a well right here. I'm taking a well in the valley of my weeping.